Hey everybody, welcome to The Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I have a great show for you this week with my podcasting partner and pal, Ed Condon. Hey everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I am joined today by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. Ed, how are you? I am recording, J.D. That's how I am. I'm absolutely <laughs> recording. Recording I, is how I would like you to be. There is no room for doubt or error on this occasion. I am definitely recording. This is Monday, March 14th, and um, uh, the reason you point out, Ed, t- to me that you are recording is because on uh, Friday, which I believe to have been Friday, March 11th, you and I spent a good hour and 20 minutes uh, talking with one another in which you, uh, it turned out, were not recording at all. I have no explanation for this. I I do. I know exactly what happened. Can I tell you? Please. You didn't press record. I Look, I would be the first to admit that this is the most likely thing to have happened, but I vividly remember pressing record. I not only remember pressing record, but then I remember moving the bar for the record mm-hmm. app to the back of the line in my window so that I wouldn't accidentally hit uh-huh, the button uh-huh, to stop uh-huh, the recording. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and yet there's no evidence of it whatsoever. So. Well, we recorded a heck of a show. We recorded a heck of a show on Friday. I mean, we recorded, honestly, one for the ages, one for one for the record books, one to just play on a loop someday in the Pillar Podcast Hall of Fame. We corrected and, uh, a Cardinal's well, grammar. We talked we, about Freemasonry. Well, we, I recorded a heck of an episode last did. week. You spoke. I did. I, I, I mean, you, you definitely recorded a lot on Friday, and I recorded less. But, I mean, we couldn't put anything out because it would have just been two slices of bread. It, there, was, there was no meat to it without my audio. I... Wow. Well, uh, I, that is both a heck of an insult and a heck of a, a heck of a transition. Because what we're doing right now is recording at a very special bonus episode, a brief bonus episode of the Pillar Podcast, um, to make up for what we failed to do on Friday, which was to record an episode of the Pillar Podcast. And this brief bonus episode of the Pillar Podcast is about a topic that you and I have actually been discussing all day. Yes, I. this has been a wonderful Neat. day because um, I enjoy it when we get to discuss things about which... I also enjoy it when we get to discuss things. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> what I was going to say is I enjoy it when we start off thinking that there's a straightforward thing to be done and we end up um, initially disagreeing violently over a conclusion, come around to arguing copiously in circles to the point where we both change positions three or four times before landing on a resolution. And that is what has gone on here. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, this, this is, this is a banner day. This is the reason I come to work, JD, is so that you and I can spend hours going round and round and calling professors and reading canonical commentaries and digging up old Roman decrees just so we can figure out if we can have bacon for breakfast. Yes. And that is what we did. Well, actually, no, we didn't even do that. We started out um, trying to figure out if we or anyone uh, could have wings on fr- on a Friday night while watching. Um, I don't know very much about basketball, but by watching the, the the March the March Madness basketball tournament, we had been asked, in fact, um, numerous times over the past couple of days, whether or not it would be possible for Catholics to eat meat on the evening of Friday, March the 18th. And the reason people said as well, the next day, Saturday, March the 19th, is a solemnity, and so maybe we can eat meat 
on on, on, fr- on Friday, March the 18th in the evening. And um, and so I texted you this morning. You know, you live on the East Coast in an undisclosed location, and I live in Colorado. I, my location is relatively easy, easily found if anyone wants to come after me. I'm not afraid. Come at me with your best shot. I'm here. Um, but anyhow, you live in an undisclosed location, um, fearing as you do that someone might come after you, and I completely unafraid and um, Dude, willing on, to do. A, a, a moment's clarity. I'm not afraid people might come after me. I'm afraid people might talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> It's a totally different fear. I, well, well, I don't want anyone to do that it's either. Not, it's not a fear of physical harm. It's a fear of social interaction. Uh, let's not. Well, I don't want anyone to do that either, uh, to, to speak with me um, uh, unsolicited. That's not true. I, I'm happy to speak. I'm here. If you would like to speak, I'm relatively easily found. Anyway, I texted you in the morning to say, um, hey, Ed, people have been asking us about um, uh uh, abstinence, the, the law of abstinence, and last year we did a little explainer about the Feast of St. Joseph, which the Solemnity of St. Joseph, which last year fell on a Friday, and so maybe we could do a little explainer about the Annunciation, which falls on Friday, March the 25th, and a, a little thing about this question of uh, whether people can eat meat on Friday evening, March the 18th, given that the next day is a Solemnity. And uh, so if you don't have anything to do in the morning, go, go ahead and write that. And uh, actually you were doing something um, else, so you said that... Um, You'd get to it, which is fine. And, uh, you know, we have a little morning meeting. We have a little morning meeting by chat. You know, um, we do. We do. I suggest something. You suggest something. You take it. I don't take it. You know, whatever. We have a little morning meeting. And so you were already working on something. So I said I'd work on it. And uh, then we ended up on a telephone conversation in which we both agreed that the answer seemed obvious. I mean, this was the interesting thing is we both were in agreement that the answer seemed obvious. And so this shouldn't take very long. Um but it was only after speaking for a few minutes that we discovered that we had we held different uh, senses of the obvious answer. Uh, different diametrically opposed answers. Um, yes, and then we spent most of the day talking to canon lawyers on the phone to see what they thought. And what we discovered is that canon lawyers of considerable uh, repute also hold varied positions, diametrically opposed positions on this question. That's true. I, I am always amazed that there would be learned and respected members of our common trade who don't reflexively just understand that I'm right. Um, <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, it's so hard to be. Um, it's so hard to have a gracious to be to have a conversation with you when you are as gracious as that. <laughs> if if I seem smug, JD, it's only because you usually win these little arguments, and so I'm reveling in a rare victory. Well, I'm glad that you're reveling, um, although, you know, ultimately, uh, so let's talk about it. So the question is, the question that we spent the day effectively discussing and doing other work too, in fact, doing a fair amount of work as well, but spent the day, you know, kind of jumping in and out of at various times and having a couple of phone conversations about was this, um, can Catholics who are obliged to abstinence from meat on the Fridays of Lent uh, eat meat on a Friday if the Friday precedes a solemnity? Saturday, March 19th? The Solemnity of St. Joseph, can Catholics eat meat on Friday, March the 18th? In the evening. That was the thing which we discussed. Well, in the evening, yes, that was the thing which we discussed. And we thought we had a clear-cut answer, or at least something we could pick apart to provide a clear-cut answer, in that one of the archdioceses of this country issued a decree from the archbishop uh, issuing a dispensation under certain circumstances. And this was, of course, the decree issued by Archbishop Bernard Hebda of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, who dispensed the Catholics of his archdiocese from the Friday fast if they would be celebrating the feast of St. Joseph, starting with first Vespers in the evening or attending um, an anticipatory vigil 
mass. Now, what was interesting about that, as we sort of actually looked at the the grammar of the decree, was it two things became clear. First of all, it doesn't actually address the question that we had started off thinking that it would answer for us, which is, are Catholics in general obliged to maintain the Friday fast, having celebrated, for example, a vigil mass or started the, fe- the liturgical feast of St. Joseph in the evening of the day preceding by saying evening prayer one? Um, because this decree, according to its strict language, actually dispenses the Catholics of Minneapolis-St. Paul for the whole Friday fast. It just says Friday. It's unqualified as to which part of Friday's fast mm-hmm. they are dispensed from. So if you, presumably, according to the text of this decree, um, have the intention of saying Vespers or going to Mass on Friday evening, you're dispensed from the whole Friday fast so you can have bacon for breakfast, which is fascinating and interesting, but it didn't answer our sort of question of, you know, is the is the general lifting of the obligation to fast for Friday evening sort of inferable from the overlapping law at play here? And the reason that there's a question of this is there are two kinds of time in the There church. are two kinds of time, right? There are two kinds of time. There's, there's liturgical time and there's yeah. legal time. Yeah. And I mean, time is very important. <laughs> I've often said this. Time is very important. And so you have legal time, which according to canon law is defined as the period midnight to midnight. Um, but then you have liturgical time, which is a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, or at least has a broader definition, right? Has a broader definition. So when we started having this conversation, um, I I took the position that um, abstinence is a legal obligation established in the law, and therefore the appropriate sort of mode of computation of time is the legal computation of time. And the legal computation of time is that, according to Canon 202, law, uh, uh, excuse me, according to Canon 202, um, a day is the period from midnight to midnight unless specified otherwise, and I take that to mean specified otherwise in the law. Yes, and I think that is, as a general rule, a perfectly reasonable presumption and entirely correct and defensible as a a legal proposition. But you have taken the position that um, uh, you have taken the position that um, a liturgical day, and and rightly you have rightly taken the position that a liturgical day, um, when it is a solemnity, begins in the evening before. There are a number of instructions from the Holy See which clarify that a, the liturgical day of an instru- of, a, of a solemnity begins the day before at midday or at, at, in the evening um, with evening prayer one and continues on through the next day. And therefore, you say if um, if fasting pertains. Um, if fasting pertains to a liturgical season or abstinence pertains to a liturgical season and um, uh, uh, a, 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 a sort of de jure um, remittance of the obligation to fast pertains also to a liturgical occurrence, that is to say a solemnity, would it not make sense that time would be computed according to the norms and rules of solemnities? Exactly. The My, my assumption was it's not possible to fully enter into the liturgical feast which is the solemnity of the Feast of St. Joseph in this case, if one is still fasting, that this, this would be an imperfect um, observation of the solemnity. But, I mean, again, it's, it, it's not 100% clear. And you can come back and forth on this a couple of different ways. I mean, for myself, I think there are arguments to be made that, particularly when talking about um, when does um, Sunday begin, when does... Um, you know, if you like, the churches in the church's mind, the Sabbath rest begin. It's rooted, of course, in the celebration of the Easter Vigil, which is the most holy night of the church's calendar, leading into the celebration of Easter Sunday. 
and you can even go back as far as Justin um, and his accounts of the first masses, the first Eucharists. We didn't say mass back then because there was no Latin. Right. People can believe that there was a time when the church didn't have Latin. Um, and it's very clear that he says, you know, the, the Lord's Day begins on Saturday evening, that this is when the Eucharist was traditionally celebrated in the apostolic church and the other Christian communities, that they would come together on Saturday evening. And that was the beginning of Sunday in the mind of the church. And of course, this is rooted in an eschatological mentality of the church. Um, it's also rooted in the biblical narrative, the Genesis narrative of creation, where of course it doesn't say morning came and evening came the first day. It says evening came and morning came the first day. And that there is a particular um, worldview associated with this, that um, the in the Christian and Jewish traditions, um, we are, as a people progressing through time, looking to move from darkness to light, that we await the glorious coming. And that um, history is not as, for example, in Norse mythology and philosophy, we are not trending towards um, a cataclysmic final darkness in Ragnarok, where everything will descend into a frozen blackness. And so, you know, it might seem um, like splitting it hairs to say, well, what do you mean? Evening came, morning came, morning came, evening came. But actually, it, it, it informs, it's an entire way of looking at human history, an entire way of looking at time. And time, of course, mm -hmm. is very important, which is why you need a good watch. Um, <laughs> I just want to set that in for um, So if the church says that the, the Sunday begins on Saturday evening, and it likens in a very special way the marking of solemnities, uh, to the celebration of Sundays, and particularly Easter Sunday, which begins, of course, with the vigil the night before, through the night in the dark, because vigil, of course, is rooted in the Latin word to keep watch in the night, um, then it seemed clear to me, or at least it seemed a reasonable first assumption that you would be dispensed from the Friday fast if you were already liturgically living the feast. And and you were quite sure of that. Um, but I'm, what often did... in, I'm often in error, J.D., but I'm never in doubt. <laughs> but what did throw uh, a wrench into things was the, was the dispensation of Archbishop Bernard Hebda of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, because he's a canonist who, as a canonist, you hold in high regard. He's a very accomplished um, canonist. He right. served for many years in the Pontifical Council for Legislative Texts. His, his is the business and training of interpreting the law of the church. Who And who issued, as I think you have already mentioned, um, a decree dispensing Catholics from um, the obligation of abstinence, which he believed them to be under on uh, on Friday, March the 18th. Well, did he? Well, that's a very good question. But before you read it carefully, um, because eventually, well, before one of us read it carefully and pointed out to the other some interesting nuances of it, but before it was read carefully by us, um, did you hold the position that, um, it, did it in any way um, lead you to call into question your position on the matter? Um. Do you want my 100% honest answer? I, we're paid to tell the truth. Uh, honestly, no. I never once questioned <laughs> my own. So, Ed, you I held a position. Assumed. You held a position, and then a bishop issued a decree which ran, you know, direct, an in direct An accomplished canonist, an archbishop who is all, not only sort of a longstanding and, and, and respected practitioner of the law, but also, I think, a competent teacher of the law, um, issued a decree which ran... Fully in the face of your position because... Appeared um, to on it, first reading. Which appeared to on first reading run fully, in, which I think was intended to run fully into in, into the face of your position because um, it uh, it presupposed that Catholics are obliged to abstinence 
you know, for the whole of the calendar date of March the 18th. And that didn't cause you to question your position in any way whatsoever. Well, uh, again, and this was according to my own erroneous first reading of the decree. And unlike you, I choose to presume that a skilled interpreter of the law like Archbishop Hebda meant exactly what he wrote and nothing else. Um, according to my erroneous first reading, I assumed that the Archbishop was behaving with a shepherd's pastoral heart and issuing a decree which might be redundant but he wanted to do so for the good of souls in his diocese to prevent anyone having issuing, unnecessary qualms of conscience. Do you think that issuing a redundant decree is actually good for the salvation of souls? Isn't it far better if you don't think that Catholics are... If the Archbishop didn't think that Catholics were obliged um, to, to abstain on the 18th or on a certain part of the 18th, um, don't you think it would be better for him to express that? And don't you think he would express that? Um than to just then than to just suggest to them that they had some obligation which he was remitting. It's not for me to make windows into men's souls, JD. I <laughs> nor is it for me to second guess how an archbishop might feel it is most efficacious and appropriate to communicate with the faithful of his archdiocese. I mean, these are mysteries into which I dare not. But um, no peer. one uh, no one who is a practitioner of the law would hold that it, that a that a reasonable approach to um to, to pastoral care is to pretend that the law imposes an obligation which he actually doesn't believe it to impose. I mean, the only reasonable reading of the thing, the only good faith reading of the thing, is to hold that Archbishop Hebda has a different position than you, which is to say that Archbishop Hebda believes that um, abstinence is a requirement for Catholics on Friday the, the 18th of March. I just want to correct your grammar here, because you're speaking as though this is actually what the decree says, and that this is a real live, um, you know, cleft stick in which I would find myself. Would have but, been. But, but we took a very interesting reading at the decree. I mean, we took a good reading of the decree, and we discovered two things. We discovered two things. The first is that it contains no such presupposition that Catholics are bound to the Lenten fasting. In other words, it doesn't say it in the recitals. It doesn't say wherefore Catholics are bound, um, you know, to to yes. abstinence on on you know the whole of March eighteenth or something like exactly. that. It doesn't say it in the recitals. And yeah. in its actual effects, um, it proposes a and grants a dispensation to Catholics for. The Friday fast. Now, no one, according to any reading of the law, suggests that Catholics aren't bound to fast on Friday morning and afternoon prior to Vespers one of the Sure, everybody Saint thinks that Catholics are bound to to, and to abstain the from meat. On, of this not decree, fast, but abstain by the way. Sorry, to abstain exactly, from meat on Friday the eighteenth for most for most of the day at the very least. Exactly. But the and effect of this decree was very interesting. The effect of this decree is. For Catholics who intend to celebrate the Solemnity of St. Joseph beginning with Vespers 1 or an By going to Mass or by going or by praying evening prayer. Yeah. Um, then they are dispensed from the Friday fast. Full stop. Fri the, from the Friday obligation of abstinence. Yes. Full um, stop. There is no qualification of which bit of Friday they are dispensed from. It right. simply says Friday. So therefore right. so it applies in other words, to the Catholics entire in legal the day of midnight to St. Paul in Minneapolis are, if they intend to pray evening prayer 1... On, uh, on Friday, or if they intend to go to Mass on Friday evening to celebrate the, the Solemnity of St. Joseph, are dispensed from the obligation of abstinence for the whole day. For the whole day. So a Catholic in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, as we read the decree, which I think is the reading of the decree, yes. as we read the decree, a Catholic in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis can um, have this sequence. Bacon and eggs for breakfast on a Lenten Friday, hamburger for lunch on a Lenten Friday, evening prayer one, uh, to celebrate the solemnity of St. Joseph on a Lenten Friday, and then thus begins, um, according to your reading of things, Lenten Saturday, on which he is obliged not, not to not, not to Lenten at all. Not Lenten Saturday, the, the feast of St. Joseph. Lent, Lenten solemnity. Yes. For, on which, for the rest of Friday, he is no longer, uh, he's no longer uh, obliged to abstinence. Correct. 
Yes. So I think that is the correct reading of the decree. I do think that's what the decree says. I agree. Now, and you can be reasonably sure that if you and I agree on this, then it must be the case because if there was <laughs> if there was a chance to fit a cigarette paper between the two of us, we'd find it and argue over it. Now, there are two possible mm-hmm. in, there are two possible meanings there at least. Um, one of which is that the archbishop intended to dispense Catholics after they go to evening prayer one or mass in the afternoon on Friday the 18th or that the archbishop, being a very competent canonist and a, 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 one of great renown, intended to um, reward Catholics who wished to celebrate the solemnity of St. Joseph liturgically by giving them effectively a full meat day. I see no reason to assume that the archbishop, being, as you note, uh, an accomplished canonist and a, and a former professional interpreter of the law... That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Um, ...would mean anything different than exactly what he wrote. <laughs> I mean... I agree. I, I can only assume this is a demonstration of the of the canonical subtlety of of Archbishop Hebda and and a, and a certain kind of magnanimity. Yes, um, which intends to uh, to to make a a, a a pastoral gift, if you will, to those who are committed to the practice of the faith. A pastoral gift, but also JD, it to my mind is perhaps a way in which he's encouraging the faithful of the Archdiocese right, of Saint Paul, Minneapolis, to take up the praiseworthy practice of, for example, saying vespers. I think that he's, I think that he's may offered well be a little carrot if you if you take it up on I the, think that on the Friday. I think that may well be his intention, but the fact of the matter is he hasn't offered a little carrot. He he's offered a buffalo wing, or a hamburger, <laughs> or a sauce. I mean, he's offered something much better than a carrot. Let's give the man credit. I agree. I, I and for this reason, I I and I don't think I've ever said this sentence before. Um, I wish I lived in the archdiocese <laughs> now, of St. Paul, Minneapolis. Neither you nor I nor most of our listeners uh, live in the archdiocese of St. Paul, in Minneapolis. Although I should say we do have a fairly good contingent of uh, of those who do live in the archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis. Go Gophers! Um, but neither you nor I live in the archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis. And so the disagreement that you and I had was about whether or not um, you and I, not living in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, would be obliged to abstain from meat. I'm just saying this again for posterity, I suppose. Would be obliged to abstain from meat until midnight, um, March 19, which is to say after 11.59 p.m. on March 18, or whether we would be permitted by the law of the church um, to eat meat in a celebratory fashion um, to commemorate the solemnity of St. Joseph in the evening of March the 18th. Yes. And as I said a moment ago, the esteemed canonists with whom we spoke were split on the question. They found it to be an interesting question, one yes. that they had not considered previously, one that only comes up every so many years. I don't know how many years, but one that would only come up every so many years. Um, and one that uh, we found had not been given much consideration. No, it has not been given much consideration. And I mean, again, how you arrive at uh, an answer to this depends a great deal on what you think should um, take precedence, uh, liturgical time or legal time. And And much to our surprise, we discovered that I veered in the direction of thinking that legal time would take precedence over liturgical time with regard to a legal question, and you veered in the direction of thinking that liturgical theology should take priority over the um, over the the bare norms of canon law. Uh, That is true. Uh, That is that was my presupposition. Would you would you care to state your rationale first, or would you like me to state mine? Well, mine was simple, um, and I believe I stated it at the beginning of the show, and I'll state it again. Uh, I think I've maybe stated it three times, but mine was simple, namely that absence is a legal obligation. There is a legal method of the computation of time, um, and so that with regard to legal matters, the liturgical method for the computation of time should not be relevant, but um, the legal method for the computation of time should be, and therefore um, abstinent, the obligation of absence should end at midnight on March 19th. I, I, 
Yeah, I and I understand why you why you um, had that. That was my position. <laughs> but I, it, to me, I I think the first law. Don't you dare condescend to me right I'm now, not by the way. I am having one all. hell of a day. Don't you? <laughs> you are getting ready to condescend to I me. Not. I can see it in your eyes. I You've got not. that glint. You've got that glint, and it is not the right day for it. I would never condescend to you. I'm not some sort of philosophy professor. I would... Both the right and the left have decided that today's the day to mess with me, Ed. And I'll tell you the truth. I've had it. I so understand. don't you I, dare. No, I, have, I don't want any part of the fight. And I would like to remind making... you of the number of esteemed candidates who hold a position similar to mine, including... <sighs> Go ahead. I am not in any way condescending to you. In fact, if I... I know how to press a record button, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Which, by the way, let me just check and make sure that I have. Okay, I have. Okay, great. Obviously, a <laughs> principal tool of legal interpretation is to ask, what is the law for in the first place? Now, in this case, yes, the legal computation of time is defined in the Code of Canon Law as midnight to midnight for any given period. The purpose of that law is to ensure that the computation of things like, for example, procedural rights. You know, if you, the church says you have X many days to appeal um, a legal act or whatever, there's an understanding that a day means a calendar day. Mm -hmm. And then that, that allows for sort of the smooth running of the, the bureaucracy of the church. The, and it ensures that the church's uh, method of computation of time aligns broadly with that of wider society because it's important that in its doings and functionings, the church can operate within as a society within the wider society in which it finds itself. Mm -hmm. that, that's why we've got the law as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the Lenten fast and the Friday abstinence from meat is primarily a liturgical creature. That is its function, mm -hmm. is it is in service of the liturgical preparations of the church as a liturgical people for the various times and seasons and celebrations which mark the church's liturgical year. Now, a liturgical day is, as we said at the beginning, a somewhat more squishy prospect than mm -hmm. a simple period of 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And again, the reasons of that are rooted in all of the stuff that we talked about. And it seemed to me that it's not always possible to say, well, tomorrow begins in the evening the day before in the mind of the church, even for liturgical matters. It's not. Right. The Easter Vigil, for example, comes into mind. Go ahead, sir. Anyway, the, but in many cases, for the major feasts of the church, the church makes a special point of saying, no, the evening of the day before is the beginning of the day of feasting which follows. And that is why there are proper first Vespers, if you like, because you have Vespers 1, which is the evening before, and Vespers 2, which is the close of the right. following day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the intention of the church seems very clear there to say, no, 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 there is no, in this case, Friday night. There is only the evening beginning the Saturday following for mm -hmm. the solemnity. That mm -hmm. if there's no option here to say, well, you could celebrate Vespers 1 of St. Joseph, or you could just celebrate ordinary Friday Vespers. And you don't have that. You only have the option to start celebrating the feast early, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so it seems to me that if the church is clear liturgical intention that that is when the feast begins, you can't properly feast if you are still fasting. Sure, who fasts while the bridegroom is still with? Indeed. Right. Um, uh, do you think, Ed, that um, Canon 18 comes into play in the course of this conversation? Well, At the end of the day, this conversation is um, mostly about the question of uh, the pressing and very serious and important question, uh, can I eat 
a burger on a Friday in Lent. I mean, that's what the thing is about. Do you think that Canon 18 comes into play? Laws, for those of us playing along at home, Canon 18 says laws which establish a penalty, restrict the free exercise of rights, or contain an exception from the law are subject to strict interpretation. Hold on, read it again, and then I want to commend you for something. Okay. I'm, I'm, laws which establish a penalty, restrict the free exercise of rights, or contain an exception to the law are subject to strict interpretation. I'd like to commend you, Ed, for just reading the English instead of doing what you often do, which is to give your own translation as you read the thing. Well, it, um, <laughs> I figured I was in for a pedantic fight here, so I might as well make sure we were working from a common text. <laughs> do you think that Canon 18 is relevant here? Um, mm, no. What is a strict interpretation, first of all? What does that mean? Strict interpretation means that you have to go by basically the most plain text reading of a law available. But but uh, no, well, and not and not read into the law do, intentions I, that are not made clear. In I itself. would say, for example, laws which establish a penalty restrict the free exercise of rights or contain an exception from the law. I would say that when we say they're subject to a strict interpretation, in a certain way, we mean they're subject to the interpretation which is most favorable to the parties affected, right? Well, so, so that's where I was going to go with this was was to say that you we do have a canonical principle that. Um, right. There's, if you like, the, the favor of the law is presumed mm -hmm. in certain right. circumstances. Right, precisely, right. So when we are restricting the free exercise of rights, for example, the restriction of the right to consume that which a person wishes to consume, um, the laws which do so are subject to what's called a strict interpretation or have to be interpreted um, with the broadest possible sort of allowance for a person's rights. Do you think that's fair to say? I think it's fair, although that, I have to admit that was not how I read Canon 18 just now or what I had in my mind as I was reading Canon 18 just now, because I would have thought that a strict interpretation uh, in this case would be, well, the law says you abstain from meat on a Friday, and the law says Friday is midnight to midnight. And I the see. strict interpretation would be, well, absent something explicit saying that is, you know, departed from. Well, so there are three clauses. We're going to leave alone, establish a penalty. But the next one, restrict the free exercise of rights, says subject to a strict interpretation, and then contain an exception from the law. It seems to me that you're reading contain an exception from the law strictly, and I'm reading restrict the free exercise of rights strictly. Do you think that's fair? Yes, I think it's a strict interpretation so of what we're saying. what we have done today is consult with, consult, the, read the law, uh, read the law again, uh, consult with learned and esteemed canonists. Examine particular law. Examine particular law to consider the mind of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a legislator who has interpretive prowess. Um, consider the possibility in which we can um, interpret the law and some of the interpretive principles of law. And ultimately, um, I think, um, although I kind of know where I land, I think there are still good faith readings um, in both directions. Absolutely. And I, we've discovered that. So do you think we have a genuine lacuna in the law? I would say this is definitely a matter... I mean... Okay. What is a lacuna? A lacuna is a hole in the law, if you like, a, mm -hmm. a lapse, a gap. Yes, you know. that's right. Mm -hmm. a, yeah. a little, a little blank space that could do with coloring in. Oh, um, fair enough. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. I, I, I express this conditionally because I'm kind of surprised this hasn't been asked and answered somewhere, and it wouldn't shock me to discover. It wouldn't it. You shock me if it. Yeah. I mean, the problem is we didn't spend enough time in the library to be able to say definitively anything. We could but have spent we a week with, in the library going over Roman replies and things and trying to find. But I think of all the canonists with whom we spoke, that could be said sort of equally well. That we we had we sort of surveyed a cross section of canonists and didn't come across anyone who we would say has like developed a particular expertise in this question. No. So, and in fact, we talked to many whose area of expertise is, in fact, liturgical law. 
Mm-hmm, that's right. They 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 did not have um, any particularly direct light to shed on this question. Mm-hmm. So no, I think we are potentially looking at a lacuna of law. If it has not been previously asked and answered, I think it would be interesting and useful for it to be asked and answered. But of course, this is the glory of canon law. Mm-hmm. I actually think that we have spent much of today really experiencing something beautiful about canon law this is uh, this was the best monday i've had in quite some time this is i had nothing but fun with this (laughs) that's right now if there is a lacuna in the law or if there are a number of good faith interpretations um you know very of varying good faith interpretations what do you and neither of us i think it should be said here are um, authoritative, it can offer authoritative interpretations of the law. Neither of us are, for example, the Pontifical Council for Legislative Texts, or um, for that matter, diocesan bishops who could interpret this by virtue of particular law or general executory decrees, as did the Archbishop of St. Paul in Minneapolis. We're two dudes, right? Yes. Um, from that vantage point of being two dudes, having done, I think, a, a relatively a relatively thorough day-long study, a, a dive, a, an excursus into the topic um, what do you take away as a sort of course of action with regard to the question, can a Catholic eat meat on March the 18th in the, in the evening? I, I am sufficiently persuaded that the mind of the legislator and of Mother Church in this instance is, is clear, which is that the, the liturgy of the church um, and the liturgical calendar of the church exists to, to guide and rule and animate our life in the temporal order and that when the church says the feast begins the day before the evening before she means it and you can't fast while you feast so i'm perfectly prepared to to stake whatever percentage of my soul is hangs on me getting this wrong on on that reading of the law however um, i am not sufficiently persuaded i would like to say that but Precisely because I'm not sufficiently persuaded, and precisely because I think that there's real sort of doubt about um, the meaning of the law here among people who are uh, who are qualified to interpret it, um, and precisely because I think that in a place of doubt, one must sort of give the law a strict uh, reading with regard to the interpret with regard to the free um, with regard to the restriction of rights. I-, I too land in a place where I think, I think having spent a little time on this, I think that I would be comfortable, absent some definitive interpretation between now and uh, and Friday, which is entirely possible, um, or some, you know, sort of uh, relevant binding norm for my own diocesan bishop, I think I would be comfortable eating meat on the evening of Friday the 18th in celebration of the Solemnity of St. Joseph. I, I also feel that comfortable. And I am also confident that if I'm wrong, um, the, the Lord will will hold in my favor my zeal to honor. Oh, no. I'm quite certain that if we're wrong, we're screwed. <laughs> I don't believe that we're screwed. Um, the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar wait, Media and Edit. <laughs> oh, before, I would like to offer a public service announcement because I know that many people, my email inbox and my DMs, and also I suspect yours, um, have been full of people asking us for a definitive ruling here. Um, I would simply say this. Uh, if you do not believe yourself to be qualified to come to a definitive conclusion on the proper interpretation of the law in this case, and you would like to eat ribs on Friday, um, do, imbi- do bear in mind that the pastor of your parish, that is the parish, unless you are a member of a personal parish, the parish of the territory in which you live is competent in the law to dispense you from any and all days of fasting and abstinence. As an individual. As an individual. 
He cannot yes, issue a, a sort of blanket decree right. dispensing a the parish. pastor is competent to dispense individuals. I once was at a mass on the morning of, of March the 17th, which that year fell on a Friday. And um, ordinarily, the pastor of the parish would um, conclude daily mass and then head into the sacristy. He didn't do the sort of handshake routine that he does uh, on a Sunday during uh, during the week. But on this particular weekday, a Friday in Lent, March the 17th, he stood in the back in order to do both the handshake routine and to offer one after another individual dispensations from the obligation of baptism. That is a man with a shepherd's heart. Well, he was. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, JD Flynn, and I'm joined by my canonical partner in crime uh, and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon. Ed Condon.